direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by the Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Make sure you go check out all of their great products and content on their respective websites. I'm Toby Leary, and this is episode number 156. It's amazing how time flies and they start stacking up. So I appreciate everybody who follows along week after week and show after show with me. Uh, I'm grateful and thankful that you do that. It's the close of 2023. This is the last show of the year and uh, really looking forward to what 2024 brings. Uh, One thing that the 2023 has brought me in a post-Christmas, pre-New Year's world is something. I don't know if it's the flu or a cold or what yet. It's still pretty early on. So I'm going to go as long as I can today. Um, But I'm a little under the weather, as they say. So I'll be taking some breaks to blow my nose, wipe my nose, et cetera, et cetera. So I apologize. The good news is uh, I fully disinfected the mic. So you guys are all safe on the other side. You're not going to catch what I got going out over the airwaves. All right. That disinfectant in the middle of the mic is going to be just what you need to to stop the spread. <laughs> um, but <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's the good news uh, that 2023 is kicking me in the teeth on the way out the door. Uh, but anyway, so I don't think I'm going to make it a full two hours today for a couple of reasons. One is I'm not feeling great. Number two is it is our company Christmas party tonight or holiday or New Year's. I don't know. Because it's the week between Christmas and New Year's. Is it a New Year's party? I don't know. Is it a Christmas party? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say yes to both. So we have that going on. And uh, no, you don't need to wear a mask, G-Webs. You guys are good. Um, You're safe. You're not going to catch it because I disinfected the mic. So (laughs) there you go um and kp is currently in range one chatting 
in the chat while shooting with his daughter. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Talk about technology. Uh, there you have that. So what better way to follow along, listen along, shoot, and be a part of the show all at the same time. So uh, pretty cool. Um, but some breaking news is that uh, the legend himself, Gaston Glock, has passed away. Um, he was a guy who changed the game forever when it comes to firearms. He uh, certainly uh, made the manufacturing process a whole lot different than the traditional uh, processes um, of the day, which was double action, which was um, all steel, all aluminum, all metal guns. And uh, he went to this polymer frame, striker fired, Glock per perfection. Uh, even the cases came in a little Tupperware. Uh, the box came in a little Tupperware thing uh, that Glock came up with. So uh, really ingenious. He's right up there in my mind with Eugene Stoner and uh, with uh, Mikhail Kalishnikov. Um, I think he was a pioneer. I think he was, he didn't invent the technology. I know HK came out with striker fired guns in the, in the seventies. Um, but he really did perfect it. And that was their logo was Glock perfection. That was their slogan. And, uh, so it was, um, you know, a interesting, um, attempt, if you will, that was very successful at, converting people and so many people started off with uh saying oh um you know i i would never trust a plastic gun and this went on to this day there's still people of that sentiment um that they don't trust a plastic gun so to speak and uh so that's you know neither here nor there it's if you don't trust it it's because you don't understand the technology or because you just have a um, presupposition that metal is better or that, um, you know, you like certain things. It's a predilection uh, towards certain things. So there's nothing um, inferior about it. So uh, there's a lot of people who have posted about uh Gaston Glock, who died today at 94, and he is a legend. I met the guy who brought Glock to America, basically. Um, he, I forget his name, but he lives very close. He came in a couple of years ago when we first opened the shop. I say a couple, it was nine years ago. And um, he basically was the guy who brought the... Um, brought the Glock pistol to the NYPD and got them to sign on to it and got them to, to buy the, uh, the Glock 17 at the time, I think is what it was. And he basically, you know, was, was dodging bullets, if you will, in the industry to do that. And, but he got the NYPD to sign on. It might've been a, uh, economic scale, if you will, it might have been um, 
you know, a way for them to save money and budget. And they had a huge police department, thousands of sworn officers. So it made a big difference um, for who, who it was that was going to be, um, you know, buying it and procuring them. It would save them a ton of money. So, um, yeah, it's, he, he made a ton of money with it. I remember at one point him telling me he was making more as a salesman than the, a lot of the company executives and whatnot, the, and they were really upset about that a little bit. Uh, they were like, dude, you're making more money than officers of the company. And he's like, yep. <laughs> and, uh, cause he started signing once NYPD signed up, he just dominoes started falling across the country. I think to this day, 65% of all police departments use Glock pistols. Um, it is the AR-15 of the handgun world. It is uh, uh, a the most used, bought handgun in the world. I would I would argue. I don't know if that's 100% true. Certainly in this country. And an interesting statistic about this is. Glock still produces the Gen 3 pistol. They've already mothballed the Gen 4. And so they're making Gen 3 and Gen 5. One of the main reasons for that is California. California, the Gen 3 pistol is on their roster. Gen 5 is not. So um, they can sell the Gen 3 Glocks in California. And interestingly enough, the Gen 3 Glocks that are sold to California account for 40% of all of Glock sales. So that's why they'd be crazy to mothball the Gen 3 and, not, and cut off an entire state. So think about that. The, the amount of buying in California alone attributes to 40% of all of Glock sales. I think that's Glock USA. I don't know if that is worldwide, but they would never shut off that spigot. So fascinating. Um, and, you know, if, if the approved weapons roster ever goes away in California, then it is going to be hard for anyone in any other state to buy a gun because there's going to be such a, black hole it's going to be such a suction from california alone um that every manufacturer that can't currently sell their guns there would be sending them to california overnight and it would just be a huge demand for a long time it might be months if not a year or two so that whole case in the southern district of california that's before you know justice roger t benitez uh is one that could really affect everybody in this entire country, even if you don't have an approved weapons roster, just for the fact that it could be hard to get a gun uh, during that time. It's going to be an interesting thing. It'll be a typical shortage. I'm sure uh, it'll people manufacturers will ramp up production of guns, but uh, it's just, you know, very interesting. So there you have it. Uh, Gaston Glock um, has passed away and uh, Rip, he was born on July 19th, 1929, passed away 
December 27th, 2023. And he was born one day after me. I'm on the 18th of July, but uh, he, um, yeah, he was a pioneer, trendsetter, and pretty awesome uh, businessman who has done a phenomenal job. Um, and I think uh, he's he's a gun that many other companies have imitated. And at one point that Smith & Wesson, I think it was the, what was the name of it before? It was the SDV or SVDE. Um, it was the Smith, I can't remember. But anyway, it's now the SVDE. And basically, if you look at the internals of that gun, it, it was almost a clone or a copy of Glock. And in fact, Glock sued uh, Smith & Wesson over that. So uh, there you go. Um, so we're going to jump in the chat a lot today because uh, I don't know if I'm going to have a second hour. So um, we'll answer your questions. So fire it up. Oh, and I'll prime up the phone lines on the break. So if you want to be a part of the show, it's... Uh, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And we will be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And Gaston Blah. Uh, may he rest in peace. All right. Like I said uh, before the break, the phone number here is 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And I got to apologize to some of my local listeners because yesterday I was on the Grace Curley show and she teed up the biggest T-ball question in a long time. And I swung and missed she was talking about all the news she's been hearing out of Massachusetts. And honestly, over the holidays, I just didn't see it. And um, I really should have just uh, been paying attention better. But I was kind of taking a mental break from the industry, if you will, or from uh, the shop. Or I was just honestly very busy on the floor and not really researching. But there was two big things that happened in in, uh, Massachusetts over the past week or so. And one is a district court ruled that guns are not, uh, AR-15 is not protected under the Second Amendment because it is not common and it is unusually dangerous. So this was a uh, crazy, crazy you know, way to look at the law. And that's really their only, that's the only thing they can stand on is the fact that guns are not common 
and unusually dangerous. They have to meet both prongs of that approach if that's what they want to use to justify banning guns. So that is absolutely insanity if you think about it because the AR-15 is the most popular gun in the country, uh, long gun in the country. And the other thing is uh, it's the same as every other semi-automatic rifle as far as dangerousness is, concern is concerned. But it's, it's absolutely maddening if you think about it. Um, I'm going to see if I can find the article. Uh, the the fact that an AR-15 would be considered not in common use is totally nuts. Not to mention, you could almost make the every town argument and turn it around on them and say, oh, you're telling me it's exactly the same as a military-style assault weapon? It's exactly the same as that. You got to consider all the, the military weapons as well and say it is absolutely in common use. However, when it came to the Caetano case, the stun gun, the uh, Supreme Court looked at stun guns and said there's at least 20,000 of these stun guns in use around the country, which means it is in common and ordinary use. So they said it is protected by the Second Amendment because it's in common and ordinary use. So if you think about that, <clears throat> excuse me, if you think about that, and then you extrapolate that out to the AR-15, which has about 30 to 50 million, it's, it's insane. Uh, so, so the, the AR-15 is in, is not in common and ordinary use, according to this district court judge. However, the Caetano, the Supreme Court said that there's 20,000 stun guns in use. So therefore they are protected by the, the courts. Totally nuts. Um, also there was speaking of, uh, Justice Benitez, he hammered this activist professor Donahue in Miller v. Becerra. Um, there's an article on uh, Ammo Land on December 27th. This was a great article. In mid-October of 2023, Judge Benitez, in a powerful ruling, took longtime activist professor Donahue to task in Miller v. Becerra. John Donahue III... That's such a lawyer name, huh? John Donahue III, very bougie. An econ economist who has published numerous papers. Many of those papers were statistical studies about guns and crime. He is a professor at Stanford Law School. No surprise, surprise. Some of his prominent papers dispute the findings of John Lott, who found an increase in the issuance of carry permits led to a decrease in homicides. Professor Donahue's findings have also been disputed. His analysis focuses on state-level statistics, while John Lott's analyses use finer-grained county-level statistics. Professor Donahue submitted a supplemental declaration to the court in support of Becerra 
in the state of California, unlike his articles about concealed carry, there is no esoteric mathematics involving state-level synthetic controls. Justice Benitez carefully considered Professor Donahue's. He finds it has little to do with the California ban on assault weapons. John J. Donahue is a professor. This is from uh, page 69. His supplemental declaration is not particularly helpful. For example, Professor Donahue describes a 2018 medical study published on the JAMA network about 511 gunshot victims in Boston. Wait a minute. 511 in Boston? I thought we were the safest state in the nation. Uh, but 2018, there was 511 people shot? Anyway, that's a whole sidebar. Sorry. Uh, he opines that the study applies directly to bans on assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. Yet the study notes that only one of the 511 victims studied was shot with a rifle caliber round, 7.62 by 39. Why the study applies directly to bans on assault weapons, as Professor Donahue opines, is not at all obvious. Handgun wounds were the main point of study. Professor Donahue also opines that the dangers of weapons like the AR-15 will outpace any legitimate crime-reducing benefits the firearm provide. Citing the 2017 Sutherland Springs Baptist Church shooting, he picked an ironic example, a neighbor Stephen Williford stopped the mass shooter in that tragedy with four shots from his own AR-15. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Professor Donahue previously co commented on the lawful-to-own Ruger Mini-14 rifle, which is similar to the banned rifles. He offered that the Mini-14's current legality is because the firearm restrictions are to be increased incrementally. He concludes with abject conjecture imagining the January 6, 2021 Capitol rally would have turned out like the Kent State University shootings. But for the District of Columbia's prohibition on assault weapons, Professor Donahue's opinions are entitled to no weight. Judge Benitez shows Professor Donahue is pushing a number of gunshot victims, shot almost entirely with handguns, as an emotional ploy. Emotional ploys are used when you do not have a logical argument. It also is a push for interest balancing, forbidden in the Heller and Bruin Supreme Court cases. The information that shows Professor Donahue did not find the exception for the Mini-14 rifle relevant is highly revealing because the gun banners had simply not gotten around to banning it yet. Like in Massachusetts with HD 4420 or 4139, as it is so-called now. It exposes the slippery slope argument as valid. It shows at least one prominent professor and lawyer conspicuously re referenced uh, by those who oppose a strong Second Amendment view gun restrictions as best done incrementally. It is reminiscent of the overused boiling frog analogy. The weird hypothetical about the January 6th Capitol rally in Kent State is particularly strange. Kent State happened in 1970. There were no privately owned firearms involved. The government would have the only assault weapons involved. Judge Benitez makes the obvious judgment. Professor Donahue's opinions are entitled to no weight. With Justice Benitez pushing for a disarmed population, 
have found a jurist who is knowledgeable about firearms and firearms history who rigorously does his homework and applies the law as the Constitution and the Supreme Court require. Meanwhile, Professor Donahue is exposed as either a freedom-hating anti-gun hack or just ignorant and in no position to be providing declarations to the court. So the whole decision is actually there. Uh, and that was Dean Weingarten's uh, article um, on, oh, sorry if I just missed a phone call. Uh, feel free to call back. I apologize. Um, yeah, I just missed somebody. Sorry about that. But 508-444-2120 is the number. Uh, I love how Benitez just doesn't even... You know, he just smacks it down and says, uh, this is ridiculous. Hold on. Excuse me. Um, so that's basically uh, what he thinks of uh, anti-gun hack, uh, Professor Donahue. Um, and believe it or not, in most cases, those amicus briefs that get submitted to the courts have a lot of weight attached to them because the not all jurists are as well versed as Benitez as I just mentioned the one who said that the AR-15 is not in common in ordinary use um, so he obviously didn't do much research on that he was just trying to bring back the interest balancing as well and uh approach and also um you know doesn't do his own research into say the Caetano case where if stun guns are protected because they are there's 20,000 of them in circulation then um yeah it's crazy um, anyway, uh, if I can find that article about the, uh, about the assault weapons ban, I will, that was a setback that we all knew was coming. And that was a case again, that Nagger, um, was pushing in Massachusetts. And, uh, we didn't think we were going to win that case. Uh, we figured it would have to go to the, uh, not the Supreme court, but the, uh, di the, First Circuit Court of Appeals first, and then it would uh, end up going all the way to the Supreme Court eventually. But and I I did a little tweet on this that says um, this is why it's kind of tragic, and this is why uh, people don't people I shouldn't say people, but gun rights groups don't spend money in Massachusetts because there's literally no path to uh, having their rights restored except the Supreme Court. And that's an expensive and time-consuming uh, process. So um, it was, uh, let's see. Yeah, I wrote on December 23rd, precisely why gun rights groups hesitate to dump good money into mass gun cases. They know it is a probable loss in the district court and most likely the First Circuit uh, 
you have to be prepared to play the long game and appeal to the Supreme Court. And this is not only expensive, but time consuming. We're thankful for Nagar for committing to this case. I'm not sure how this judge can say the most popular rifles in America are uncommon. So when Grace Curley teed this one up for me yesterday, I had a big swing for the fences and a miss because I forgot to mention this. And I just talked about the H4139, which is really the most pressing matter in its front of mind. And I'm giving it till the 2nd uh, of January. Um, and then it's going to be full court press. We have to hammer the Senate because they're going to, you know, take this up. And Cynthia Cream, by the way, is the state senator who's in charge of writing the legislation for the Senate. She is a perennial offender to the Second Amendment, tries to ban everything from guns to pre-ban mags to handguns, entire categories of guns. Every year she introduces gun control legislation. So the fact that she's the one pushing this is not good. Not good. So anyway, uh, we will be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Don't go away. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch Defensive Hollow Point Ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and thanks for being here. All right, I found the article. Federal judge rules Massachusetts assault weapons ban is consistent with recent landmark Supreme Court decision. Unbelievable. You want to talk about twisting yourself into a pretzel. This is one. This is it. All right. So this is a uh, article by Nikki Brown on the pro Second Amendment uh, platform called CNN. <laughs> uh, so this is obviously a uh, a very gun friendly site. Uh, CNN: A federal judge ruled on Massachusetts ban on assault weapons is consistent with a recent landmark Supreme Court decision that established firearms regulations must be consistent with the nation's historical tradition. If I may stop right there, and I'm sorry to do this, I'll, I'm going to get to your questions in one sec, but I want to just point out one obvious thing, and that is, what did the Supreme Court do right after Bruin? They remanded an assault weapons ban case to the Ninth Circuit to get it right in light of the Bruin mandate. And they vacated the district court, Justice Roger T. Benitez case, and told him to go back to the books, hit the books and come back and get it right in light of Bruin, which he did in the first place. He did the text history tradition before the Bruin case. But anyway, I digress. The relevant history affirms the principle that in 1791, as now, there was a tradition of regulating dangerous and unusual weapons specifically those that are not reasonably necessary for self-defense. This is unbelievable. U.S. District Judge 
F. Dennis Saylor IV wrote in an order Thursday, the assault weapons prohibited by the Massachusetts ban are not suitable for ordinary self-defense purposes. Oh, really? Really? You're telling me that an AR-15 with a 30-round magazine, a red dot optical sight, a sling, is not suitable for self-defense purposes. And by the way, that's also a two-pronged, two-side coin. It's defensive or offensive purposes. You can't just have one side of that coin, Justice Sailor the Fourth. The assault weapons prohibited by the Massachusetts ban are not let me read this again, not suitable for ordinary self-defense purposes and pose substantial dangers far beyond those inherent in the design of ordinary firearms. In other words, they grow legs at night and run out of your safe. They have safe cracking ability from the inside and grow legs and go out and commit crime that you wouldn't have otherwise committed. The Massachusetts law prohibits some semi-automatic weapons in large capacity magazines. It was passed in 1998 and was made permanent after a similar federal statute expired in 2004, according to the judge's order. In June of 2022, the Supreme Court issued a landmark Second Amendment opinion in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, which expanded gun rights nationwide and established that firearms rules must be consistent with the nation's historical tradition. About three months later, the National Association for Gun Rights and a Massachusetts resident filed a complaint against the Commonwealth's attorney general attempting to block the assault weapons ban, claiming it infringed on their constitutional rights. Absolutely, it does. In a post on X, the executive director of Nagger's legal wing said that the organization plans to appeal the decision. CNN has reached out to Nagger for comment. Uh, Massachusetts Attorney General Andrea Joy Campbell called the decision a significant win in a statement Friday. Gun safety laws work, and they can be enforced consistent with the public safety and the Second Amendment, Campbell said. This decision to uphold the state's assault weapons ban is significant win that will protect the public and continue Massachusetts' leadership on gun violence prevention. CNN's Josh Campbell contributed to the report. So between Josh Campbell and Nikki Brown, they put together this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten paragraph article that I just read. And all they did was regurgitate what Justice Saylor the Fourth wrote in his order. They never once, you know, break down how the, the Second Amendment is protected by the text, the history, and the tradition. They tell you, they said that it must be consistent with the nation's historical tradition, but yet they don't point to our nation's historical tradition of banning guns because there ain't none. They just, they don't do that. And they didn't do that. All they did is say, oh yeah, it's consistent. It's like a wise, uh, wise eyed, eyes wide shut approach. It's unbelievable. All right. 
Let's go to the phones. We have, I'm sure it's Don and Stoughton. Go ahead. You're next up on Rapid Fire. Hey, Tony. It's Jonathan Stoughton. You got me? I got you. Loud and clear, sir. How are you? All right. No, um, I'm glad you picked up on this uh, U.S. District Court ruling. And there were some very glaring and obvious mistakes, and I'll just quickly cover them. First off, the uh, the justice never addressed constitutional limitations. Mm. In other words, those privileges extended to government that they can act upon. And as you and I both well know, that what is not specifically allowed is absolutely denied. Mm. So nowhere in the U.S. Constitution or Massachusetts does it say that the government has any ability to act upon the possession of firearms by lawful citizens, and it is doubly denied because of the fact of the Second Amendment. So, I mean, that this is a no-brainer. Right. How the judge could not have seen that is just beyond me. Yeah, and but this— then in reading his opinion—go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I want you to finish that thought. Go ahead. Okay. Um— and then in reading his opinion on page six, he cites the Miller ruling from the 1930s. And he states that in the Miller ruling, it was noted that a sawed-off shotgun was not part of the militia equipment. Well, that's not true, Toby. The Miller ruling was remanded back to the district court in Arkansas because it was not within judicial notice that a sawed-off shotgun was uh, part of the ordinary military issue or that it could contribute to the common defense. Hmm. So what the Supreme Court was asking Miller to do was to provide some documentation that I don't know why, but that a sawed-off shotgun could be used by the militia or by the military. So Judge Saylor really screwed up two times over with his decision. Right. So there you go. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And so my question is, and I asked Mark Smith this, and he, he really didn't answer the question when I had him on. But I would love to get someone who could explain this to me. I think that the Bruin decision gave the most clear direction to the lower courts about how to rule on Second Amendment cases. Here's a clear case of Justice Saylor giving the double middle finger to the Supreme Court and saying all right, you've pushed, painted me into a corner on how I have to rule. So I'm just going to mash my ruling and say that it's consistent with the Bruin mandate, even if it isn't. So it is it is basically uh, a, an abuse of power, in my view, to, to say that, you know, they know they're willingly and fraudulently uh, twisting these definitions and meanings into something that it isn't in order to try to give the appearance that they're complying with Bruin. So my question is, what can be done about it? And why do these judges get away with it if they're so obviously going in direct defiance of the Supreme Court, which is the Supreme Court of the, of the land? Well, I once had a federal judge back in 2005 tell me that nobody had a right to stand on sidewalks and collect signatures. That was Judge Reginald Lindsay. The guy was a complete moron. Um, he refused to remand my case back to the state court, saying unless I dropped all charges against the town of Bridgewater, he wouldn't remand it back. 
And I looked at him and I said, what good would that do if I dropped charges against a town that violated my Massachusetts civil rights to stand on a sidewalk and collect signatures? Uh, he didn't like that when I got nasty in his face. But a judge cannot do that because they, they must recognize raised judicata. In other words, those decisions that have been ruled upon before, and they have to understand the plain usage and terminology used. For Justice Saylor to do what he did is, like you said, it stands the ruling on its head to try to get some sort of ruling that he supports and that will then support what the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has no authority to do. Mm. Again, the one thing, constitutional limitations. Is there any privilege granted in either constitution for either Congress or any state to act upon the possession of firearms by lawful citizens? And the answer is no. And that's the end of it, Toby. Right. So, unfortunately, we still have to live with this ruling until until the uh you know the the it gets appealed to the first circuit and who knows how they'll rule and then it'll go to the supreme court so that's the fun that we get to participate in as lawful legal citizens in massachusetts is we get to live under the status quo uh even though this guy is in direct defiance to the uh bruin supreme court decision the the only thing I could suggest, Toby, is if someone along the way could do a declaratory judgment, this is where you bring uh, some sort of uh, concern to the um, direction of the court, and you can do it in federal district court, and you can have the judge <clears throat> rule on your concerns, and the declaratory judgment could pick up in the Miller ruling, and that person could take and cite that, yes, a sawed-off shotgun was part of the ordinary military issue and or could contribute to the common defense. And then you start listing short barrel rifles, machine guns, handguns, bazookas, mortars, uh, cruiser, machine guns, etc. And in that way there, because in the Miller ruling, it's the judge stated, once you have proven this to me, the Second Amendment will give it full protection. Mm. So a uh, declaratory judgment, I've, I've contacted the National Association of Gun Rights and I suggested to them in a motion to reconsider to then take and provide evidentiary material that a sawed-off shotgun was part of the military equipment, World War One, and could contribute to the common defense, which would be any weapon at all, from a slingshot to a nuclear bomb. Hmm. So the judge has left it very wide open in the Miller ruling. So will the National Association of Gun Rights pick up on this, or can we get somebody is somewhere in the United States to do a declaratory judgment to a federal district court. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, thank you so much, Don, and happy new year. Thank you, Toby. Yep. God bless. And we'll see you in the new year. Thank you so much for chiming in. Will do, sir. All righty. All right. Good night. Good night. All right. Well, there you have it. The final word from Don and Stoughton for the uh, 2023. Um, If you want to be on the show, it's 508-444-2120. Give us a call, 508-444-2120. You know, it brings up something that I was thinking about when I read this decision and how painfully obvious it is to everybody who has a head on their shoulders. Now, I would agree that the majority of the plebs out there, the majority of the population, will look at this and go, oh, see, like, yep, a judge ruled that it's 
consistent with our nation's history and tradition without knowing the work that went into the Supreme Court ruling with the, uh, you know, NYSERPA v. Bruin with Heller and McDonald and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they'll just take this as it is and say, oh, yeah, here you go. But the work hasn't been done. And he's obviously so wrong in this case. Um, I think back of Justice Roy T. Moore, who's a guy that I actually respect a lot and admire. He was the chief justice of uh, Arkansas. And he was removed from the bench. He built this beautiful memorial in the rotunda of the courthouse. And it had the Ten Commandment tablets on it. And it was, you know, just consistent with our nation's history of displaying the Ten Commandments in courtrooms throughout the country. And uh, so it was actually a George Bush appointee that came after him and said, um, you know, you got to remove that memorial. And he's like, why do I have to remove this memorial? And they're like, because it's, you know, there's a separation of church and state. You can't have the, the Ten Commandments in your courtroom. He's like, whoa, 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 time out here. There are 10 commandments on display throughout courtrooms all over the country. And you can't tell me that that isn't consistent with our nation's history. And then they said, well, you can't mention God because he would start off every uh, day with a prayer in the court before the court started. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. He pulls a thing off the wall and says, uh, this is the charter for the state of Arkansas that says, you know, founded under God. And he's like, I can't, I can't abide by these rules that you're imposing on me and still uphold the law as written in the constitution of the state of Arkansas. It was in Arkansas. It might've been Alabama. I can't quite remember, but I think it was Arkansas. Long story short, he got removed by a federal panel of judges even though he was an elected justice and uh, he got removed from the bench and because he refused to comply with the orders of a federal court. So all I'm thinking is how is this justice, Justice Saylor, not able to be recalled or impeached or removed from the bench for failing to abide by the rulings of the highest court of the land. I just, you know, maybe that's a whole separate process and you need somebody in the court system to bring that charge against them. And because it's not a politically expedient uh, uh, process, they may or may not do it. I don't know. But the bottom line is, all I'm trying to say is, this is uh, a incredibly defiant ruling by Justice Saylor, who flies in the face of Caetano, Bruin, Heller, McDonald, and, you know, probably more. So anyway, something to think think about and things that make you go, hmm, right? It's, uh, it's like one of those, one of those things. I just, it, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. It's, it's, um, it's, yeah. it just makes me sad to 
see that people can get away with that because I know I can't get away with stuff like that. Anyway, let's get to the chat. Uh, actually, uh, we'll do that right after the this word from our sponsor. So don't go away. Be right back. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Toby from Rapid Fire Radio, and it's time for another Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. This week's Gun of the Week is the Taurus TX22 competition. Someone can fact check me on this, but I think it is the only true striker fired 22 pistol on the market. A lot of them simulate that like the SIG 322, but the Taurus, as far as I can tell, is the only striker fired 22 on the market. But what I really like about this gun is the full size grip, the full size feel, but it's also like a full size striker fire nine millimeter gun. As far as the feel of it, and so it's good for like subcaliber training if you only want to shoot 22 due to cost or you want to work on some trigger press stuff without the recoil of nine millimeter the other thing that's really cool about this gun is it comes with a plate mounted to the barrel on top that has multiple reticle multiple red dot sight mounting options so you're not limited to just one type of footprint on a red dot sight you can mount a whole bunch, probably all of them, right to the top of this gun and it's mounted to the barrel for maximum accuracy. And you can see it doesn't reciprocate as you shoot the gun, which is pretty neat. So this would be a great gun for steel challenge or some sort of competitive shooting matches. It comes with three mags, comes with multiple plates, like I said, and it is a very reasonable price point gun and it's this week's rapid fire gun of the week. So go to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down to G-O-W, click on it, and use code G-O-W at checkout if you want a very special deal on this gun. We're going to go see how it shoots, so stay tuned. I'll be right back. All right, so here we are on the range with the Taurus TX-22. We've mounted up a Sun Optics RAID red dot sight on there, so I'm looking forward to getting some rounds downrange, see how it shoots with this uh, striker fired 22. So here we go, going hot. Very nice. I love it. Great recoil. By the way, this has a threaded muzzle and comes with a compensator. So you can eliminate some of that muzzle rise on a 22. Comes with the gun. So if that interests you, you don't have to go search in the internet for a compensator. It comes with one. And if you live in a free state, you can put one of those silencing devices on there. So anyway, there you have it. 
the Taurus TX22. It is pretty cool and shoots great. So check it out. Thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome back. This is Rapid Fire, and I appreciate you guys being here with me each and every week. Hopefully, uh, you liked that little video on the Taurus TX22. That thing is a pleasure to shoot. A lot of fun. So uh, let's get to the comments. The chat's on fire today, so uh, I want to talk to you guys. So here we go. Uh, the Bloomberg one that thinks that NAR is full semi-automatic machine gun. Hey, I saw something today that I had never seen before. It's a bolt-action semi-automatic rifle. Has anyone ever heard of that? Yeah, one of the guys who used to work for me came in. We did a transfer for this factory-engraved Walther 22 rifle. And the crazy thing is the bolt sits pretty far forward on the action. And if the bolt's down it works like a bolt action rifle. But if you flick the bolt up to like this half position, it's not all the way up where you can open the breech and it's not all the way down where it locks into a little groove in the stock, excuse me. You just click it up above that groove in the stock and now it works like a semi-automatic rifle. It's crazy. Uh, I'm like a bolt action semi-automatic rifle. Sounds like a gun banner's worst nightmare. So anyway, Bloomberg is doing cartwheels over the recent Massachusetts assault weapons ban. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm going through the chat the wrong way, by the way, just because I, I probably shouldn't do that because it, it might get a little confusing. Um, let's see. Uh, Colt and Glock were born on the same day. That's an interesting uh, tidbit of information. Um, I guess I was born one day off from some of the greats. <laughs> uh, yeah, one day off. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I hope we never do either, Chris. Is it true? Oh, here's a good one. Is it true illegal aliens can get guns without background checks? This was put out on the interwebs by a FFL's wife, I guess. And I don't think that's true in any way, shape, or form. They certainly couldn't in our state. Um, but I, I haven't even seen where that's been verified in any way, shape or form. However, I have a theory on this and that is that illegal aliens that are here in our country are protected by our constitution, even though they're not citizens. So that means they are going to be able to buy guns. Think about it. Um, I'd like to see somebody disagree with me on this, uh, but I haven't logically been able to figure this out. Obviously, you can't vote in our election unless you're a resident, I mean, a, a citizen. But that's kind of the only, and that's probably subject to change soon too, but that's the only enumerated right I can think of that you are not afforded protection of because the founders didn't, view our constitution and our bill of rights as something that is a gift to mankind from mankind. It was, this is, there are certain unalienable rights endowed by our creator. So 
if they're unalienable, you can't take them away. You can't put liens on them, even if they aren't a citizen. They're human rights. And they're given to us by our creator. It goes on further to say the laws of nature and of nature's God. This is who gives the right. This is who grants the right. This is who, you know, gave it to us in the first place. And I love the part we hold these truths to be self-evident. So this is all self-evident to a person who has a, a brain that they can think logically and see and say, hey, um, if these are basic human rights, the only reason people in other countries can't participate in them is because of tyranny and because of tyrannical governments, not because they don't have the same rights as you and I. So fast forward to 2023 and the six to 10 million person surge of potentially bad actors across our border. This presents a serious problem. This is why the Constitution also talks about the defense of our country is the one thing that government is charged with in the Constitution is the defense of our borders. So you can't just leave the door open because once they're here, guess what? Yeah, they get to participate and partake in all of our constitutionally enumerated rights. And I don't know how I'm wrong on this. Right now, we acknowledge and we grant the Second Amendment to permanent resident aliens, immigrants, and uh, those that are here on a temporary visa for whatever sporting purposes they're here for, to hunt, to competitively shoot, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, there's extra processes in order to uh, participate in that. But the bottom line is, um, how is a person who's been allowed to come in with the doors slung wide open by our government any different? I'll wait. They're not. Because the right doesn't come from government, it comes from God, then therefore they will be able to buy guns here eventually. I don't think there's a provision in the system right now to, to accommodate that because you do a background check, they may or may not come up. I don't know. Maybe they come up as, you know, they don't, they might not have a permanent residency. I don't know. It's not something I'm excited about. I'm just saying that it's going to happen. Um, so anyway, think about that as we roll into the new year. That's why it's so important to defend our borders. Ordered myself a nice Magtech G20 carbine upper for Christmas. Nice demolition. Uh, we're trying out different guns from the rental wall. That's awesome, KP. Uh, for her first gun, recent LTC, she took her class here too, leaning towards the M&P right now. She has large hands, likes my Glock 19 too. Um, hey, man, how are you? All right, so tried to figure it out one night and came up with the best number of 7 million gun owners in California with a population of 40 million at the time. That was a few years back, though. Um, well, if that's the case, that would certainly put a dent in the, uh, you know, if the, the approved weapons roster is done away with as I think it will be um, in some point in California. Uh, 
those 7 million people who are probably now more like 8 million since COVID, especially if that was a few years back, even 8 million, that's less than, what is that? About 5% of the population, uh, 50 would be 20, 10 million would be 25. So, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, 12 and a half would be 12 and a half. And then so I, I think, uh, so 7 million would be about, would be about 6%. That's consistent with Massachusetts. I think we have about 6% of, uh, or we're less than 10%. Let's put it that way. Right now we have about 600,000 gun owners in a state with 7 million. So probably eight and a half, nine 9%. So anyway, uh, I, I assume that there's some rural parts of California that has much higher gun ownership percentage than, than some of the urban parts. I, although I don't know. Glock just doesn't have any style to me. Their lines aren't appealing. It's a brick. That's just me. I agree with you, Mike. I can, I can acknowledge what you're saying, but also I can acknowledge the ingenuity, business acumen, and trend-setting pioneer that Gaston Glock was. It reminds me of that song from Beauty and the Beast. No one fights like Gaston. I'm not going to sing the whole song. But how about no one makes guns like Gaston? <laughs> oh, boy, I'm really, the, the meds are kicking in. Uh, thank you, Noah. I'm a little under the weather, but thank you, G-Webs. It was the Sig Sigma. I mean, the Smith & Wesson Sigma that has turned into the SDVE. My, my brain uh, could not pull that one out. But yes, that's the one they got sued by Glock over. Any deals on an AR yet? Um, I don't know if there's ever going to be a deal unless you get the fixed mag deal. And then... Yeah, they're pretty reasonable. They're free state prices with band state features. Uh, there you go. Um, do they have the Avidity arms on the walls if she likes your G19? Um, no, but if you want to shoot my my own personally personal Avidity arms, PD10, by all means, she can. Although we're now closed because we got that party so uh sorry about that kp uh next time i will let you shoot my avidity arms i'm supposed to put one on the wall so i i do need to do that um glock switches were on channel seven news the other night that's interesting because there's a article i'm not going to read it right now but the true nature of the glock switch if you will um was a, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but there was an article on bearing arms, if I'm not mistaken, about um, the Glock switch and the, tr the the real story behind it. Uh, let me see if I can find it and I'll drop it into the chat because it was pretty interesting. Uh, there it is. Report on Glock switches provides hard numbers by Tom Knighton. And coming now. 
So there you go. Let's see. Look out, Mini 14. They're coming for you. Oh, they always have been. That's been the the sleeping dog that ha, you know has one eye open and it's looking at the gun ban people like this. <laughs> it's I thought for sure that gun was going to be banned a decade ago, well, decades ago, right at the 93 assault weapons ban when there was a shooting at a, uh, it was actually the Ruger 1022 with the folding stock. It was at an abortion clinic. I don't know if you guys remember that, but this guy went into an abortion clinic and shot it up with a Ruger 1022 with a folding stock. But the picture on the front page of like every newspaper was the gun with the big uh, Butler Creek 30 round mag sticking out of it. And it had the Butler Creek with the, the two mags sandwiched together and taped. So he could just flip it over and put it in. And that was like a big assault weapons ban news. That was right around the 94 assault weapons ban days. And I thought for sure they would key in on the Ruger 1022. I mean, the Ruger Mini 14 after that. Uh, so, but yeah, they've been out for the Mini 14 for a while. It's just been slipping through the cracks. So Second Amendment talks about arms. I think the AR-15 falls into that category. Good point, Noah. I'm getting triggered by all those. Here's Her here's Herve again. Uh, this is the same guy that said the same comment yesterday. And I need a little more context, Herve. Uh, he's getting triggered by all the guns in the background of my studio. Well, this is a gun show, and I do work in a gun shop, and I have like Cape Gunworks apparel on. There's a lot to be triggered by if you're a gun, per if you're not a gun person. However, the thing is, Herve, none of those guns have moved during this entire broadcast, have they? They just sit there. They're inanimate objects, just like the car, the the knives in your knife block in your kitchen, the baseball bat and the kids, you know, closet, the the hammer in the drawer or in the garage, the chainsaw, all that stuff just sits there until it's used for good or for bad. It is a tool. So don't be triggered, Herv. And I have a sneaky suspicion you're being facetious. But I don't know that to be true. You might legitimately be triggered. And I apologize. And there's probably a safe space out there for you. However, I would say if you're being triggered by the fact that you can't shoot them because they're on my wall and not yours, I can respect that. That's something I can totally respect. AR is not common use in Massachusetts because they are banned unconditionally. Ah, I disagree with that demolition, Daddy. I think there are tons of AR-15s in this state, and I believe they are in common and ordinary use. Uh, I look very pale today because of the temperature of my light, I guess. Maybe if I back off a little. Um, but maybe I should play with the uh, LED light because it's making me look paler than I am. I normally am. How's that? Is that better? That bring a little bit more color to my my face. <laughs> uh, I can. Oops, there it is. Off. It's on. Actually, maybe it's better off. But I have dark circles under my eyes if I do that. So let's go with that. 
but thanks for pointing that out, Patrick. I appreciate that. Um, so they make it difficult and costly to own and say, well, it is not in common enough use. Yeah, well, I mean, all the gun banners on in Congress, I think it was uh, like Matthew Gates that said the gun is in common in ordinary use and Jerry Nadler's like, that's the problem. Everybody uses them. They're in way too much. You know, he admitted that they were in common and ordinary use. Um, uh, let's see. He doesn't feel well today. Oh, thanks for covering me, Mike. Old Herb is triggered. Again, maybe he needs some real trigger time. I would agree. He probably just needs to get in here and put some rounds down range. Uh, oh, congratulations, 500. He got his first AR yesterday, and you're in a state that you can do that, uh, Georgia. So there you go. Pink color ARs are legal. Um, I wish, Herv, but they're not. But I'd own one if they were. I got no issue with pink guns. I am completely... Uh, in fact, I actually bid on a pink gun once. I lost it in a fierce bidding war at the Freedom Hill gear. Uh, shot hurt around the world, shoot hurt around the world. And it was a really cool custom built AR. It was actually a, I think it was a pistol, uh, but it had a crazy Cerakote scheme to it. And pink was definitely one of the colors prevalent on it. I wanted that gun, darn it. But I got outbid. So what am I going to do? All right. Duncan says talk about unusually dangerous found out today that a neck knife and mask can just kill without anyone being able to explain it man's death outside the calhoun restaurant in saugus appears to be accidental yeah maybe it's because they a lot of people will wear a neck knife on a lanyard maybe tripped and fell in it stuck them in the throat i don't know that's scary if uh um ah Herb, is that true? The dude at Kowloon's tried to leave without paying. No pay, no go. <laughs> hey, uh, the interesting thing about the Kowloon is um, the one of the owner's family members is a pro-gun representative in the Massachusetts State House. Good dude. I met him. Um, very good dude. Um, I think it's Wong. And... Uh, he is pro second amendment all the way. And I love the Kowloon. Um, my cousin's family used to go there like every Friday night forever. And on Fridays, there's a huge line outside the Kowloon or there was in its heyday. And you had to wait in line or whatever. And because my aunt and uncle went there every week, they would just walk up to the front and they'd say, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, come on, we got your table. And they'd just walk right in and sit them down. And I thought it was the coolest thing being a teenager, like, oh, my gosh, they have celebrity status at the Kowloon. And, you know, they just got seated and then they moved to a little bit further away. So they didn't make it every week. And I was up there once and it was like, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years since they had been to the Kowloon. We're all just sitting around 
at my grandmother's house in Melrose and we're like, what are we going to do for dinner and all this? And I go, hey, let's go to the Kowloon. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's a I'm like, no, let's do it for old time's sake. So we all saddled up and we headed over. And the crazy thing was when we got to the door, it wasn't like the old days with a big line, but we got to the door and the, the host recognized my aunt and uncle and said, hey, how's it going? And they brought them into their old table where they used to sit every Friday night for, you know, years. So I thought that was super cool. And uh, there, it's just like a, I mean, it's a fixture up on Route 1 in Saugus and such a cool place. But I guess you got to watch out for those neck knives if you're in the Kowloon parking lot. So, um, uh, oh, he made that up as a joke. <laughs> Bloomberg is doing cartwheels over the mass assault weapons ban. We talked about that. Oh, I think I just missed another call. I apologize if I did. 508-444-2120. Let's see. Yeah, well, I've heard that before, cockroach. Um, One of these days, I'm going to figure out how to capitalize on that and make some money. I don't know how to do it yet. Maybe you guys could help me out. Uh, It's certainly not going to be for my skateboarding skills. However, I figured out what I'm going to say when I finally get to meet Tony Hawk. I'm going to be like, oh, Tony, it's been a while, man. I I really looked forward to this day. But more importantly, I've been cast in a role to play you in the movies. I'm going to be Tony Hawk in the movies. And I need you to be my stunt double for the skateboarding scenes. Do we have a deal? I think that would be cool. Wouldn't that be cool? I should play Tony Hawk if if there's ever a movie about him. Um, I don't know. My my agent is sitting by the phone as we speak. Um, he's waiting for the phone to ring. Hollywood is due to call any minute. But so anyway, Colleen Wire did a video yesterday on how the UK have banned all types of knives and still aren't safe. They want to ban more types of knives. Yeah, uh, I think there was a big case out of Hawaii that had banned switchblades and shivs and out the fronts and daggers and dirks and all kinds of dangerous knives. And I actually had, uh, when we had Keith Langer on, he was saying how those could be considered unusual and, and dangerous. So that could be a way to ban them. But the... The Supreme Court, I, I think it was the Ninth Circuit, said that, um, nope, you they are protected under the Second Amendment. And you have to let people buy them. So that's cool. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> Patrick, I, uh, <laughs> I, I would love to play some street hockey. Um, um, I used to play a lot of street hockey, but... I'm probably a little bit better at ice hockey, but he wants to come in and play some street hockey. He's a killer defenseman. That sounds good. Um, nobody drives an ad read. Nobody does an ad read like my man T. Well, thank you. Uh, Nagar has to wait 90 days after the Seventh Circuit refused to hear Illinois assault weapons ban on Bonk. Heard they'll apply for certiorari with SCOTUS in March. Well, I... 
I mean, don't they have to go to the First Circuit Court of Appeals? I don't know if they can just skip them. There are cases where they can skip them, but that's usually an emergency case. So we'll see what happens. Um, many gun owners disgusted with mass laws. Is that part of the reason why we only have 3% of mass gun owners who join goal? Probably. A lot, you know, this drives me nuts, but it goes back to the, I've, I've mentioned it before here, the gun, gun owners against gun owners. You're always going to get the gun owner who never pays a dime to goal or gun owners of America or Firearms Policy Coalition or NRA or Nagger or Com2A or any of them and says, they're not doing enough. They're not doing enough for our rights. Who are these rights groups think they are? You know, I, I hear it all the time in the shop. It's like, my gosh. Uh, no problem, John. Thanks for chiming in. And uh, I'm glad you got a cool gun and it's working for you. Uh, we'll get some pre-bands in one of these days for that Beretta M9A4. I uh, wonder his choices when the SP is flying overhead looking for a murder in the woods, Rano. Uh, I don't know what that is. It must have been something I mentioned earlier. When the SP is flying. I don't know. Interesting. Thank you, Mitt Romney. Yes, Mittens is one of the Republicans that served in the Massachusetts corner office that signed comprehensive gun control legislation. Uh, William Weld did as well. It's unbelievable. Um, and I don't think Charlie Baker did us any favors. Uh, an anti-2A judge will always be able to find or make up a reason to say that guns are bad. That's true. Hey, Ray, I appreciate that. Um, just kicking the ball up the hill every day. Uh, <laughs> you guys are killing me today. Uh, so uh, Boston approved non-citizens can vote in local elections. Lovely. Isn't that great? That's just lovely. A bolt-action semi-automatic rifle does indeed sound peculiar. Yeah, you got to look it up. It was made by Walther. And it was a factory engraved gun. It was pretty neat. Uh, so 22, um, California, Massachusetts, we're kindred spirits, Mike. Uh, we're fighting the same fight on two different fronts. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Joe Biden is at the billionaire's beachside mansion for the next week. Now, if Clarence Thomas did that, forget about it. Get him out of there. Impeach him. Uh, Let's see. Fred's wondering if he just bought a 365 XL. Any reason I can't just leave the safety in the off position? Will it damage anything inside? No, it will not damage anything inside. You can make that your general practice to keep it with the safety off when it's in the holster on your body. However, any gun that has a thumb safety, I would highly recommend every you shoot that gun when it's not out on target being shot the safety is on so that you can build the muscle memory to 
push down on that thumb safety on your way out to the target so that when you fire the gun, it doesn't go, oh, hold on, click, bang. So what I'm, what I'm pointing out here is make sure that the gun, you are used to act, you know, articulating that safety every single time. So the gun's at the ready position, safety's on. Drive the gun out, click it off, fire your string of fire, re-engage the safety on the way back in. If you're doing holster work, make sure the safety's on. Click it off on the way out. That's the only way you're going to build the muscle memory for the worst case scenario, which is driving a gun out on target when you need to use it and the safety's engaged and you're wondering why it doesn't go bang. And the reason it doesn't go bang is because people condition themselves to never use the safety. Always use the safety. However, I agree with you. I would definitely leave that safety off when I'm carrying the gun, but I'll still have that muscle memory built in to disengage the safety on the way out to the target. Just a suggestion. A lot of people don't listen to my suggestions, but that is a good one because that'll keep you alive. I've been on the range many a times and watched people carrying a gun with a thumb safety and we'd been on the range all day and still getting toward the end of the day, they drive the gun out, pull the trigger and you see them do the dip. Oh, and nothing happens. And then they look at the gun and go, Oh, click bang. Yeah. You forgot to take off the thumb safety because you don't practice enough with it. That's one reason I hate guns with thumb safeties. However, if you have one, do it. But I will say this, SIG now makes a delete kit. So you can delete the thumb safety on your 365 or your 320 by deleting it. You can just take it out. And that's what I would do. If you're going to carry the gun without the safety, you don't want to use it while you're practicing, then just delete it. So that's what I would do. Uh, the only thing that protects your right to live is our second amendment. It gives teeth to all the other freedoms. I agree with that, Noah. My right to keep and bear arms is what protects the anti-gunners right to tell me I can't. Yes. True story. Um, any chance the CZ Scorpion Evo is coming back in stock at Cape Gunners? Yeah, there's a chance of it. I just don't know when. And, uh, I will get it if I can. Let me just see if uh, I can see if it's on my website. Because uh, if it is, we'll pop it into the chat. Uh, CZ Scorpion. How many remember the old Scorpions, the CZ Scorpions, the VZ-61s? Those are so cool. I've always wanted one of those guns. And... I don't know if I'll ever get one, but nothing's popping up on my website. We had this problem the other day, and I apologize. Um, let's see what happens. While we're waiting on that, about the Glock switches, Tom missed this angle. Remember the buybacks in New York that were abused for $50,000? Those gallon baggies of 3D printed switches are being uh, pointed to now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, that's a good point, G-Webs. All right, let's see. I'm going to type in to the search. C 
easy. Because if it's available at distribution, it'll it'll pop up on my website. Let's see here. Uh, of course not. Well, wait a minute. No, out of stock, out of stock, out of stock everywhere. Evo 3 carbine. And I got to say, those are pretty cool. They really did a much better job on the styling of the guns, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I am going to just check one other spot while we're, whilst I have you. I like searching for stuff in real time. I got that guy, the 590 retrograde persuader the last time. Um, all right, here we go. Survey says, eh, not in stock. All right, so we'll work on that. I apologize, but we'll have to work on that. All right. <laughs> my walls are white off and there's a ton of white outside my house. My AR is white. Oh, that's a good form of camouflage, right? Uh, Nick, question, since open carry is legal in mass, how often do you see it on Cape Cod? It's pretty rural down there. I've never seen anybody open carrying on Massachusetts, in Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Imagine if someone went up to Tony Hawk and they're like, are you Tony? Are you Toby Leary? That'd be funny. I do have a kind of a story like that. Not quite as cool. But I was at the, uh, I was on the Smith and Wesson retail advisory committee. And I was in Springfield at a hotel where all of the people from around the country, there's 10 different retail advisory committee members from regions throughout the country. So I'm standing at the bar in the hotel talking with a couple of the guys from Smith and Wesson. And I see this couple sitting at the bar and one guy kind of gives me the side eyes after I start talking. And I just kind of chuckle. I go, I bet you this guy has heard me on the Howie Car Show or something like that. So anyway, I, I just some talk and shooting the bull with these two guys from Smith and Wesson. And uh, one of them's marketing guy. And I've been pumping them to get us to be a sponsor of this show. So I'm like trying to get, you know, some dollars out of them to be a sponsor of the show. And this is the last story. Then we got to go because I got to get to this party. But um, so I'm standing there and finally the couple gets up from the bar and they throw their coat on. They walk out and they come over and they're like, are you Toby Leary? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, man, listen to your stuff all the time. I'm listening to your show. I'm like, oh, that's great. Thanks, man. And, you know, shook their hands. And, and uh, oh, and the best part is John from Poway Guns in San Diego was there, too. So he was standing right there, too. And so they walk away and they're looking at me like, all right, so you're famous. You know, I'm like, no, I'm not famous. I promise you I'm not famous. But uh, he's like, what the heck was just what just happened? What was that? You know, like, oh, I do a radio show and I am on I do a podcast and I'm on the Howie Carr show or the Grace Curley show all the time. So he's the number one radio talk show. So the, the guy obviously heard my voice. And so it was it was just funny. And uh, that's my, you know, five minutes of fame. So uh, that was pretty, pretty funny. So, yeah, we talked about this, Gabriel, at the beginning of the show. 
And Marie, where you've been hiding out, hope you had a great holiday too. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, thanks for watching, Anne Marie. Oh, yeah, she was watching G Web's show. So you guys should follow G Web's and check out his stuff. Uh, Your Honor, the defendant removed the safety from their gun with a kit. Yikes. <laughs> uh that's pretty funny but hey sig makes it yep i would definitely remove that safety um i don't you know what they're going to use whatever they can against you anyway so don't worry about it you can't live your life like some lawyer could use this against me if i ever have to shoot myself shoot somebody to defend myself i'm at that point they're going to try and if they think i am culpable in the death of somebody else that was trying to kill me or my family so be it i you know i'm i'll def i'll cross that bridge when i come to it i'm not going to compromise my safety or my family's safety because i think some lawyer could use it to exploit me that's what they said about reloads like oh he wasn't satisfied with uh what was commercially available he had to cook up his own death dealing formula that would you know cause utter destruction so anyway, uh, yeah. Any GP hundreds? No, Richie, I don't have any right at the moment, um, but we we can get it. Who uh, is a better skater, Tony Hawk or Tony Hawk? Yeah, Toby Hawk or Tony Hawk? Uh, that's without question. There's no dispute there. Uh, Tony's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all times, in my opinion. He is the Gaston Glock of the skateboard world he pioneered so many things so many tricks uh he's got great amazing looks see what i did there uh but no he was the man and uh as far as i know it's he was he's a good dude too so that's what i've heard um let's see All right. Uh, <laughs> she's too kind, Lawrence. Uh, I will give you an autograph anytime. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, at least you're watching, Anne-Marie. I appreciate that. Um, so anyway, uh, cool. Well, there you have it, guys. I appreciate that you listened to my story. And uh, hopefully you guys will have a wonderful new year. Uh, I'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And um, I appreciate each and every one of you more than you know. Uh, you guys are awesome. And uh, I couldn't do this show without you. Every time somebody comes in and says, hey, uh, I listen to you all the time. I'm like, that's great. At least I know I'm not talking to myself now. So that gets a little weird. But anyway, God bless. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped the gun on that. God bless. Uh, and um, I'll see you next year, right? Yes. All right. Peace out.